Welcome to another edition of Practitioner Radio, Pink Elephant's podcast for the IT management community. It's Chris, and welcome to episode three of Practitioner Radio. And I'm here with our host, Troy Dumoulin. Troy, good to hear your voice. I can't believe it, but you got fan mail out of the gate with your very first Practitioner Radio. Yes, I'm not even sure how he found the link, but hey, it's it's out there in the wild. Yeah, that's awesome. So I was consumed with questions around problem management last time. We actually have to figure out how we're going to deal with questions after podcasts because I had so many, but we're moving on. Today's topic is just as important as problem management, and we're actually dealing with service-level agreements. That's right. So, okay, let's start off again. Pretend I'm Mrs. Dumoulet. What is an SLA? What is an SLA? Well, in principle, an SLA is an agreement between you and someone you're providing some kind of service for that says, I promise that I will operate within these parameters and I will give you these types of uh, things you're looking for, and I'll do it within these timeframes and characteristics. So a description of what you're going to give and a, a promise with a signature at the bottom that says, and I pledge, this is what I'll do. So I've read a lot on the internet that this signature, actually the pledge at the bottom, is something a lot of people don't take time to do. And I've read some people actually say that without it, why even bother? Well, it really depends on the formality you want to kind of put with the pledge, right? I mean, there are levels of this, and people talk about operating level uh, targets, open, <laughs> operating level uh, promises, service level agreements, and really what they're doing is simply having different levels of formality around their pledge, how serious they are, really, when it comes down to it. In fact, it's not a bad thing. No, I I just I figured since you, you are the man, author and and well-noted speaker, I'd, I'd find out because that's always something that I'd, I, someone I respect said that on the internet once. And I thought every time someone asked me about an SLA, I'm going to say, make sure you got a signature. It doesn't mean anything. Um, but well, I mean, you can also try on your training wheels, right? I mean, that's how you can, you can put out some published, here's our best expectation of performance. Uh, we're going to try to match and try to monitor this over time. And then when we can figure out we can actually do this, we'll put a signature to it. So there's levels of, you know, kind of growing up to an SLA. Is there such a thing as a service level target? If, you know, in official language, not necessarily, but in reality, because we were on practitioner radio after all, that's exactly what we normally say. You know, you know first thing you can figure out is define what you're doing. That's your service. Define how you're going to measure it. Uh, literally dry run your measurement so you can see if you can actually achieve your target that you've established. Figure out if that's possible, you know, through, uh, you know, your supporting agreements below operation, operating level agreements. And then when you got good comfort that you can actually deliver on some kind of pledge, then go to your customer, translate your discussion and your term to service level agreement and get a signature. That's so really kind of like training wheels for SLAs. Right. Hmm. The one thing you said that kind of scares me since we're going to be talking about service level agreement today and service level management was in that last sentence, you said, well, when you define your service, blah, 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 blah. Obviously, are we putting the cart before the horse by skipping the services conversation today, even though we will cover that a million times? 
in the future. We actually are. In fact, that is the biggest issue uh, most organizations face. They want the outcome without the hard work first. Ooh, you know, that's a, that's a human condition. That's a human. We we want path of least resistance, yeah. right? We want to go right to the end without having to do our homework. Wow. And uh, you know, if, ask yourself this question: What do you define agreements on if you haven't defined what you do? That's that's too much for me to think of. It's almost like a mind paradox. But it happens all the time. <laughs> I'm fortunate. I didn't even realize this because I'm a new pinker. Um, I own two books written by you and a few other authors. Can you talk to me about the first book that I told you? I said, I've got that book. Yes, we have uh, a book on service catalogs, how to define success through the service catalog. It's actually a book I co-wrote with uh, Rodrigo Flores and Bill Bill Fine from New Scale. Uh, Two great guys, a great company. In fact, uh, I'm going to use one of Rodrigo's stories today. With attribution, of course, Rodrigo. Um, and then that book was, I ended up with another one. I think that the first one was blue and pink. And I think my second service catalog book is actually greenish in color. Why is there a difference between the two? You can tell that I haven't read the second one. Well, we, we came out with the original book before ITIL version 3, so pre-2007. Uh, and we were using terms around service ownership and what is a service manager What's the role of account management or client relationship management? And we had all of these terms that, because ITIL didn't cover them, we were using in our own terminology. So when ITIL came out with you know its new version and it actually addressed some of these things, we had to align uh, with the new terms. But we also added some value-added content. In fact, there's a whole new chapter in the back of the new edition on tool requirements. How convenient for a service catalog tool vendor. Um, <laughs> I guess you could say so. If we go back to his defense, it goes way beyond service catalog tool specifically, right? I know. I'm just, I'm, I'm being smart because I know Rodrigo won't listen to me. Um, okay. So let's, let's get something straight first. A couple of practitioners who've been around the, been, been in the woods for a bit here. We had our version two and you guys had a book around service catalog and service catalog as a concept existed. And then version three came along can you kind of delta for me without like a paragraph or what really changed in the two concepts? Well, before service level management had within it the concept of a service catalog. Yeah. So those two things were bundled together. In reality, when we had to do a project around service level manage- management, we actually had to define the catalog first or at least gather a concept of what are the services. Because how, again, do you actually decry or describe services and measurements for those before you figure out what you do. So we, we'd always have the catalog as part of our project. It was not insignificant in itself. It was a major effort. So what I like about version three is it took the two concepts and what do you do and how do you provide it? And then the concept of business engagement. Now that I have a service catalog, how do I meet with a customer around those services, establish SLAs for those services? It separated those two things out and it's much easier now to kind of address each one specifically, and they're dependent. You really can't go out with SLM before you go and define your services. And that's one of the dependencies you talk about in a roadmap. Mm-hmm. Being a purist, and I th- maybe you're not as pure as I think you are, but being an ITIL purist, when you talk about service level agreements, when you see a customer, or a customer talks to you about the service level management program they have in place and the agreements they've written, and you ask them a few questions and you instantly realize that they actually haven't taken time to define what you feel would be properly pure V3 services. Do you kind of cringe or do you think, well, they're doing the best they can with what they got? Well, the first thing I ask them, Chris, is first, do they have service level agreements? Because that's not a given. And they usually will have some sort of agreement because they've been told to do so by some higher power. 
So then I go on and ask them, okay, what are those agreements on? Uh, they'll typically answer things like, well, an application in isolation or on servers or on databases or on the network. And I get from that set of answers right away that we're talking about technology areas. The interesting thing about this is those aren't really services in themselves to an end customer uh, from a point of view of a business perspective. They're building blocks or components. So right away, I know they're talking about agreements on technologies or technology domains. So that's where we kind of take a step back and say, okay, you know, here's where uh, we need to think about what is a service and what is an outcome. And this is where we begin having the version three conversation. So I like the concept of an outcome. We'll have to address that in just a second. I'll have to use my special practitioner radio pen here and talk to an outcome. Um, there is a story that you want to share with me that you heard from Rodrigo Flores. Can you tell me about that? Yes. Well, Rodrigo and I do a lot of co-delivery because as, you know, Join authors, we get to do the book tour, right? So the book, the tour. book tour, yes. And he always pulls out his restaurant story. I'm going to try to do this. Of course, he does it better, but I'll, I like this story and I use it with attribution. Uh, he talks about a restaurant. And when you sit down at a restaurant, you're there with friends or people you care about. And you say, okay, can we see the menu? And so the waiter presents you a menu. And on that menu, you have starters, you have entrees, you have desserts, you have drinks, uh, but there's really no discussion of ingredients, right? It's, I see this really wonderful sounding entree and it has uh, things in it, maybe a very summarized view of ingredients, but it's talking about the experience. It's, it's what am I going to experience? What kind of mouthwatering uh, food uh, solution are we going to have here? And then I begin to pick some components off the menu. I want some starters. I want this entree. And I'm, I'm looking forward to my, my death by chocolate mm. at the end, right? So I got this service solution. I got, just came up with an offer. And I say, here's what I want. Here's my component solution. And that's really what we're talking services. We're, we're presenting an outcome, uh, which is an experience, which is then going to do something with or enjoy. Uh, the alternative to that is, you know, the waiter comes up and he's got behind him, he's lugging behind him with his massive rope, the refrigerator, and says, I really don't know what you want, but I can pretty much cook you anything you want. Uh, he opens up the, you know, the refrigerator and you see raw meat and you see some carrots and celery and uh, some some milk and and they said, okay, what would you like? Right. And it's kind of like asking the the customer, what's your expected pickle consumption for the next year? <laughs> so, well, in bu- in business terms, that story makes a lot of sense. The question I would have to you is: Is there a step before that that the, the the group of friends even shows up, where the person deciding to build the restaurant says, "This is what the menu is." Period. Oh, absolutely. This and anyone in the business knows this. I have a cousin who's in the business, and he they were starting up a new restaurant. His major task was to create the menu, right? And the chef's specialty manual, uh, and that was the whole cornerstone of their offering. So a major part of opening a restaurant is to figure out what is going to be our offers, our categories. You know, are we going to have certain types of food, Italian or seafood, and what subcategories in there? And then what kind of price points are we going to put on it? And of course, the price points will have some bearing on the ingredients I've chosen and the suppliers I've chosen them from. Because if I get my ingredients from direct from the Mediterranean flown in every day, I'm going to have a much different price on that offering versus something I get off of the frozen food outlet, right? Right. So if, if IT is the restaurateur, and and the, the group of friends hanging out there are are the consumers, and you've just said we kind of need to decide what's on the menu. Uh, keeping in that same theme, 
most IT departments don't get to do that. They're already in the middle of business. Well, they, they, they're the delivery people of ingredients until they sit down and figure out what their menu. Mm. So they're not the waiter. Well, you know what? Think about the waiter as your client relationship manager or account manager, right? Mm. Mm-hmm. They are representing the restaurant and IT is the restaurant owner, if you will. Does that make sense? Uh, yeah, that makes sense. And I guess your external suppliers, maybe the people you have underpinning contracts with, are they the produce company down the street? Well, they can be either an ingredient uh, provider, right? So they provide mm-hmm. a blade or they provide a, a database, right? Or on a hosted or on-premise basis. Or they could actually have a predefined offer that appears in your uh, menu, but they deliver it right from their kitchen or their sub part of the kitchen. There's literally a full offer from that vendor as well. So they can both offer a service outcome or an ingredient that is part of yours. And then where does the promise, and I think you used the word promise, you might have, I think you used a stronger word than promise. Promise, pledge. Pledge, yes, you used the word pledge. Where does the pledge come into play? So here's a pledge that we're familiar with. Maybe Domino's? Yeah. <laughs> 30 minutes or less, or it's free. That's exactly what I was thinking about, right? Oh, no way. Okay, that's the only one I've ever heard of. <laughs> or um, you'll be satisfied or money-back guarantee, you know? Yeah. You know, we promised something, and we're going to uh, stand by that promise and have some outcome if it doesn't occur. Interesting. Yeah, because most of the time when I've dealt with customers in the past who are looking at service-level management... And service level agreements. And, you know, you could address just that. I know a lot of people who confuse those two acronyms. Yeah, so service level management is the process of business engagement, the managing of relationship, and the, and the feedback loop of continual improvement back into the organization providing the services. This service level agreement is really a vehicle or an instrument by which I, I do that. Unfortunately, they are often confused and they think people think of the SLA as the actual process. Uh, I've, yeah. I've got a story I've written on. It's in the book actually too. It's called how to fail at service level management with SLA without really trying. Or is that the end of the day? Without really yeah. trying. <laughs> well, you try hard, but you fail anyway. Right. 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 So the story kind of goes like this. So say you are an, or- an organization and you're, you're a person in that IT function. And someone comes to you, let's say it's your boss, because he or she has you know, gone to the most recent conference or event, and they have heard that any self-respecting IT shop should have SLAs. We must have SLAs with our customers. Mm. Or there's a project, right? And one of the task items on that project is, before we can close this project, we must have a written or documented SLA. So, hey, I've got to get this SLA in place. That's the goal. That's the target. So I go and talk to my customer. But because I haven't really defined anything relative to the outcome or service, um, I have a very open and honest conversation. I go to my customer and I say, hey, uh, we're wanting to be customer oriented. We want to put an agreement in place with you. And we ask the customer, what would you want? And of course, Chris, what do they say? I I want it yesterday. We want it. And I want it now. I want it free. (laughs) So I want everything basically under the sun. Now, you might kind of balk at the freeing squirm out of that one, but pretty much it gets documented exactly the total possible wish list coming out of the customer, regardless if it's a requirement or not. It's simply what they want. Okay. So, but being dutifully uh, there to develop an SLA and because we need that checklist off, uh, we document the entire set of requirements slash desires. 
and uh, we've got what we came to get. We've got a document, and we've called it an SLA, and we think the world is good. Life is good. I've got my document. So I put that document in the drawer until the first major crisis occurs. And the customer remembers he has this document. So he or she pulls it out and whacks IT over the head. Bang, bang, bang. And says, you know, what's in this agreement? The problem with this is we went out and we documented an agreement before we even knew if we could even deliver that. Because literally we had no agreements internal or external with suppliers. So we're kind of going best effort here. Uh, There's no such thing as an internal agreement, operating level agreement. Uh, We don't even agree how big is big and how small is small. We don't share priorities on how fast we jump based on whatever is, you know, currently being dealt with. Uh, We don't have any way to measure that agreement. So there's no ability to actually give back measurements of, you know, counter evidence. Right. So all we've really ended up here with is a document that satisfied some requirement based on a, a demand. But in essence, what has happened? Sounds like a bunch of nonsense. I mean... (laughs) <laughs> well, nonsense. What, what, what was the goal of service level management to begin with, right? To manage expectations, to improve customer relationships. But here we've gone and created a bunch of documents we can't sustain, which the only thing that happens with them is they get pulled out of the drawer and we get whacked over the head every time we fail. So we've actually failed at the goal of service level management by actually creating SLAs we couldn't uphold or account for. We failed at SLM with SLAs. You made oh, too many acronyms. People are going to go crazy. You made me think about kind of the older world I came from before I had some uh, taste of my V3 training. You know, back then, uh, or maybe it was a V3 thing. I can't even remember now. Um, but you, you had your, you know, there was like the, the triad. You had your SLAs, your underpinning contracts, and your LOLAs. From listening to you talk about how you define these, can you even start a service level management process? Uh, and by and within that, try to define an SLA until you know what your dependencies are from other departments and suppliers? Well, how would you like to put your, your signature on a document that you couldn't uh, actually uphold unless you had your, you know, yourself covered, your posterior covered yourself? Right. So you have, you have to start out with knowing what you can and can't do. So someone who starts on an, S, an SLA document without ever working out at least a single um, underpinning contract or OLA document with an internal external provider is doing themselves a disservice. Well, let's go back to our restaurant yep. analogy, right? So let's say we're having wings night on Tuesday night. All you can eat wings for a fixed fee of $15, right? That's a great deal. Not for the chicken. <laughs> Not for the chicken. <laughs> let's hope you can actually get your supplier to make sure you actually have enough wings for Tuesday night, right? So you have to have an agreement with your supplier in place that says you're going to double order inventory on uh, on Monday night or Monday you're going to have a double order delivered. Otherwise, good luck with that promise of all you can eat on Tuesday night. All you're going to end up with is unhappy customers. You're going to be grumbling because you promise all you can eat, but you cut me off at 10 wings. So since I've never actually sat down and physically wrote a service level agreement with someone, can't, can you have a loophole that, hey, if my supplier lets me down, it's not my fault? Or is that just like saying, yeah, he hit me first? I mean... How does that work in the real world? Well, it works a couple different ways. Sometimes people will qualify their SLAs to say, these are the things that we promise in these areas, but this is outside of our control because it's externally provided. Right? So that's one way of doing it. Another way of doing it is the pain 
falls downhill. So if I can't mate my SLA and I get some kind of pain or consequence, I'm going to pass that on to you. So you get to help subsidize that pain or you get the pain as well. So you get to have penalties. So there's there's cause and effect that might be sometimes in place. So, so, so during the 80s, when we had Reagan as a president in the United States, there would be trickle-down service level management. Yes, so the, you know, the slapping keeps going <laughs> downhill. Uh, interesting, interesting, interesting. Um, so on your blog, you actually have a, a blog article uh, about how to fail with service level management. Uh, we'll have to make sure we get that into the show notes. We were trying to get that done last time, but we were in such an excited mode to get the podcast out. We didn't, but we'll try to make sure that happens this time. In your experience, because you're one of the principals here, uh, when a consultant comes to you and says, gosh, you know, I'm really struggling with this customer because they want to do this and this and this, what is that conversation like that a consultant needs to have with a customer? Does it just get very real and really raw? Um, Because people, I wouldn't think, would want to go through the process you're talking about. No, and and often it's not news they want to hear. And this is, this is always the balance. How do you show the customer that in reality, what they're asking for is not viable or practical, uh, but do that in respect. In fact, you know, that's actually some of the genesis of a lot of the articles in my blog is because I'm trying to give uh, my team some thing to point to that's outside of them that shows these are why these things really shouldn't be or, or the practicality of this has to be reevaluated uh, is to give that external reference point. But it is, a, it is a balance because they demand we should be able to do this in a week, right? Or we should do be able to implement ITIL in, in 12 months, all of it. But they really don't know what they're asking about. They don't understand all of the dependencies you know, that are required to actually get where they want to go. Like a big thing now is service-based costing, you know, another topic for another day. But how do you get to service-based costing without having any understanding of your services or how they're built? So many people, though, online will say, well, it's a framework and... You borrow what you want and not borrow what you, you know, put put away the things you don't want. This this feels kind of core, like you just couldn't borrow pieces of this and have them do anything more than fill the fact that you could put a check in a box. Well, what is a framework? A framework is more than just a general accounting principle. In this case, it, it really does give you a sense of dependencies. These blocks have to be in place before this thing can be achieved. So there's, I think of I to like a first truth, a level that certain things are true for other things to be true. Right. And so it has to go beyond just concepts. It has to go and give you a bit more detail. Is there an ITIL version of the periodic table? (laughs) I've never seen one. Uh, Not down at that level. Maybe someone should do that. Um, You talked about the the agreements, the the conversations. in your world or in anything you've studied, have you ever run across a business or thought about that the customer themselves has a responsibility to you for you to be able to hold up your SLA? Well, very much so. So we, we talk about business service management as well as IT service management, right? So it's this, it's this cascade of service providers you were referring to a minute ago. Mm-hmm. The business has certain agreements uh, with their external customers. As a provider of services to the business, IT has to uphold their bargain or their part of the bargain so that the business can deliver. And our subcontractors, some contractors have to do the same. So it's this chain, uh, it's a value chain, exactly what ITIL talks about, of delivering outcome. You have to understand the value chain and manage it. So it, there is a school of thought or a concept that I just can't walk to my service desk 
who has an agreement with me around the services I consume from Pink and say, hey, uh, Chester, uh, I, I know that I have an agreement with you for uh, telephony services and I can't get into my voicemail. I've been here three weeks. I haven't put in a request, but you're supposed to do this within you know, three hours uh, for certain types of telephony services. Well, I've been here three weeks. Uh, I just haven't put in a request, so I demand this. So again, I, I, as a customer, I'm kind of out of line. Well, an agreement basically documents assumptions on both sides. It's not a single one-way document, right? right. These are the mechanisms by which you will get service, and you agree to that because you're also signing the document. That's another key part of this: is that it's not a single signature. It's a it's two. Yeah. It's a two-way signature. So there is an agreement of of terms between the consumer as well as the provider. There's requirements on both sides. And do we do do we have classes or do we teach customers or not we, but I guess is it a best practice to teach customers how to educate their staff about the agreement they just signed? Well, we, we certainly have the classes related to that area in ITIL where we talk about service level management and agreements and underpinning contracts. Uh, that's something we do. We also provide custom workshops. So there's the theory and then there's the application and we can blend the both together, but it depends on what you're trying to get out of it. Troy, it's that time. <laughs> Troy's Thunderbolt tip of the day. All right. Consider that the services you define in your portfolio are the same ones that you have to document in a catalog, which are the same ones you have SLAs on, which in, the, in essence are the same ones eventually you have to model in a CMDB. It's a connected world. You have to consider all the implications. Fantastic tip. Troy, thanks so much for your time today. And everybody, this has been... Practitioner Radio, and we will chat with you next time. Thanks so much. Take care, Chris. Bye.